0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Degree, a podcast where we chat with accomplished and notable University of Toronto alumni to learn more about their career and time at U of T. My name is Talal, and I'm a second-year math student at the University of Toronto.
1: My name is Angad, and I'm a second-year Rotman Commerce student. Today's guest is Nishant Samantre, who graduated from U of T with a mechanical engineering degree in 2013. After graduating, Nish worked as a project engineer at ExxonMobil. And after spending a year at Exxon, Nish founded his own startup called Tandem. Tandem used software to make collaboration between remote teams as effective as working in person. And after going through both U of T's hatchery program and the Next36 incubator, the startup was acquired by <laughs> Nish now works as a product manager at a unicorn fintech startup called PTM. At PTM, Nish has had the opportunity to work directly alongside the CEO Vijay Shekhar, and alongside world-famous investor and billionaire Masayoshi-san, we are very glad to have you today on the podcast, Nish.
2: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Um, So, the, the first question we, we always like to ask our guests is, um, why U of T and why engineering?
2: For sure. Honestly, UFT because I used to go to high school in Calgary, and I really want to get out of Calgary. So, I was like, where can I go that would be somewhere nice outside of... Uh, I'm um, outside the place I'm living with my parents and uh, Toronto seemed like a pretty good place and also Toronto seemed like a place where there's a lot going on so I was just like yeah let's go and let's go to school there let's go have a good time there and uh, the engineering program was pretty good in uh, in Toronto so that's really it and why engineering as well right honestly I was really into cars and like making cars and so I thought that going into mechanical engineering would be somewhat similar to that but uh, just like really typical kind of really into math, science, what should we do next? Engineering, where should we do it? Toronto's the biggest city in Canada, let's go do it there. That was really the mindset we had. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so based on that,
0: in your first and second year even, what was your experience like, learning about what engineering actually entailed at U of T and taking all of your courses and possibly looking at the clubs or career that, careers that were available? Uh, that lend, lend themselves to mechanical engineers. What was your experience with that? How, how did you find that?
2: Yeah, I think that initially, uh, back in, this is 2009 we were talking about, it was very, very um, industry heavy, right? So if you're in engineering, um, everybody wanted to get into a particular industry. And back then it was kind of oil and gas. Um, and so it was kind of like, what can we do to get a job in oil and gas? And the, the rationale was because they pay the most. Um, at least back then, they used to pay the most. And so all of our friends were like, you know, um, what kind of courses can we take or um, what kind of things can we do to get a job in oil and gas? And so that's all we did was just um, take a look at the career fairs that came along um, and just try to find a job in the big oil and gas companies. And that's why a lot of our friends just ended up moving to places like Calgary, Alberta, um, or even places uh, north of Calgary, like Fort McMurray and whatnot. Okay. So I used to work in Fort McMurray for a little bit, for a little while, and we had a bunch of U of T students and even uh, students from Edmonton and uh, whatnot in the surrounding area working over there. Um, but in terms of the the actual experience of the first two years, it was just a lot of getting to know people, <laughs> a lot of trying to learn. Um, to be in engineering class together and just like work together because that was so difficult and, and unreal compared to like high school or anything, but yeah. Interesting. You said that
0: the the whole buzz of being in engineering around 2009 was working in oil and gas. And I'm just wondering, uh, were people mainly focused on going to oil and gas in Canada or even other places like the U.S. or other continents even?
2: I think it was a very, very Canada heavy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Canadian-driven industry, and so a lot of people would want to work there. Um, I may be speaking more so from the perspective of like a lot of mechanical engineers, chemical engineers, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously we, I know I had a lot of friends in civil who are a lot more into doing um, things very related to their industry. Like I actually know a lot of engineers today in, in civil engineering who are actually doing things related to the industry. Um, however, all of uh, a lot of our mechanical people and, and chemical people, they're actually not engineers at all. The number of people that have kind of transitioned away from your classic engineers to doing something completely different, whether it's like being in tech or whether it's working for a consulting firm or something like that, like it's very, very different. And do you know where some of those
0: places are? The people working in tech, consulting? Yeah, absolutely,
2: man. So, um, like, I have a friend right now who's working for Shopify, another one who's working for Google. So, the co founders of Tandem, actually. Mm-hmm. One of them is working for Google, another one's working for Shopify. Wow. Um, and then I had two new co founders through Tandem as well. Um, that one of them is working for Google as well. And then I have another friend who's working in uh, San Francisco for a medical, uh, like a medical company. I forgot the name of it exactly. And, uh, and then I have a few people working in consulting firms, like just like you know, McKinseys and BCGs and whatnot. But yeah. even after working in those consulting firms, it was just so much hype in the beginning. Um, and then you all really want to work there. And then after you work there, it's just uh, you kind of figure out like why you're in it. Um, I- I'm gonna go on a tangent here. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. okay. 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 So well, for, fun. I think that. Uh, One thing that is really crucial that I didn't realize so much later was that um, you want to break free of competition. And university, especially engineering, is a very, very competitive field. So when you're in it, you're here and everybody around you is doing the same thing and all you're trying to do is become better at them. So you're competing super, super hard to be slightly better than this person. And all it comes down to is like, how you can, how, do you know the system, do you know how to study well, do you know how to talk to your professors well, and can you get that 0.1 GPA higher, just so you can be better than them, so that somebody else can hire you. And then once you do that, you realize that you go into industry, and it's like, whoa, like, I did all this, I'm here now, but was it really worth it? Like, am I here to do something um, that I've always wanted to do? Am I making the impact that I've always wanted to make? Um, and the idea is that you become so competitive to go into this other field, which is also so, so competitive. But a lot of these people that are now working in this field are just not very happy because they never realize what it is that they're trying to actually do. But it's a, it's a thing that happens in university is you have this kind of shining star at the end or you, you create it, like all of you, like all of you guys together create it in your class and you're working really hard toward it. And then you get there and it's like, okay, well, I don't really want to do this at all. So that's what happened. So all these people that are working in either the oil and gas industry or in the consulting industry they don't actually work there anymore. They're working completely So they kind of get lost
0: in the process in which they find themselves. They mm-hmm. get into university and just focus on doing this 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 but right. there comes a point where they realize why have I done all of this? Right. What's the reason?
2: What's, what's the what's the what is it that I wanted to do, yeah?
1: And so you you speak about how how like you need to get away from competition and how that's something important in university. What advice do you have to actually go about that? What would you have done to sort of stray away from that? Well,
2: when you like, when we think of, when we think of startups, right? The, the idea is that uh, you want to be so good at something that you want to break free of the competition. Mm-hmm. So usually what happens is you, you actually want to be not only the, the first to market, you actually want to be the last to market. You don't want anybody else to, come in and take over what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. In engineering, think about it, there's actually 200 of you guys over there. Um, and it's not so much breaking through of competition in that sense, but it's more so in like, what is it that I want to apply my specific knowledge and all these learnings to um, maybe in an industry or maybe at a startup or maybe doing something that is going to bring a lot of value to people that mm-hmm. I want to serve. And so being able to have that mindset no matter what it is that you're learning, will automatically gear you up to do something that is a lot more important than just doing something that is sexy in the crowd today. So a few of our friends were like, I really want to go and work specifically for a you know, um, car manufacturing company in France somewhere. And they're really, really small. They don't really pay really well, but it's exactly what I want to do. And so they geared up everything they had to go and do that, and they got exactly what they wanted. And that's like, okay, look, I'm actually really, really happy right now. Like, this is this makes a lot of sense. So just being more specific, or trying to understand what it is that you want to do, really helps, I think.
1: I think what happens is you you get into a herd mentality, and you know, ev- yeah. everyone's talking about these specific yeah. firms, these specific industries. You stop thinking for yourself, and yeah. I I see that as well in Dropman Commerce. That, that does happen a lot in first year, second year, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Everyone wants to get into management consulting. Everybody or or investment do. banking. Invest like it's yeah. That's, it's the that's thing, a thing, right? Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. I agree with.
2: That.
1: <laughs> not that it's a bad thing, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's not
0: yeah,
2: a bad thing no, at all.
1: But it's the thing that you should be conscious of. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's important to think whether that's actually what you want rather than just um yeah, and I feel like that
0: requires a lot of self self awareness and yeah. I, I feel like that quality is more it's more difficult than people think to adopt.
2: For sure, I think you, yeah, you, you gotta uh, want to be self-aware to be self-aware, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come naturally.
1: And so oil and gas was was big when you were uh, a mechanical engineer. Yeah man, oh, and, Yeah, and gas, go ahead. And so um, how has how that changed now and why did you not choose oil and gas?
2: Yeah, it was it was really, really big going back in the day. So when I used to work in Fort McMurray, the way it would work is you'd have 10 days on and 10 days off. So I used to go in, they used to fly me in every 10 days to work in um, the um, oil sands. I used to work for Imperial Oil. Um, and then you'd we would be on the fields, like um, in uh, in, a, in a campsite, essentially, that you have a makeshift campsite over there. So you work there for 10 days, and then you kind of move out of there and work, um, and then you have 10 days off to do whatever it is that you was want. Was this
1: an internship you did? This is an internship, yeah, okay. exactly.
2: So um, I this whole thing was an internship. Uh, I did it at uh, multiple different uh, places. Uh, in Toronto, in Calgary, in Fort McMurray, um, but uh, it was a really really cool experience. Like the scale at which they do business there is really insane. Um, like uh, the operations of it's literally twenty four hours. So you're digging mud all the time, um, and then the refinery is kind of running twenty four hours as well to kind of create oil. Um, it's a really really cool industry, and it's also insane because a lot of us who are you know not even graduates yet. We're making um, close to a hundred thousand dollars, if not more, sometimes, just by doing working for money. So it was a booming industry for sure. Um, but then after that, what happened is you could just tell like the, the oil industry crashed a little bit, and it was uh, it was really hard to get back into it. And for a lot of us, it was like, okay, well, what do we do next? And you know, for me specifically, I was just like, I, I had no idea what to do because it was all I ever knew. I did not know anything else at all. Um, the the other option at that point was okay, like what else can engineers get into? And consulting was a pretty easy thing to get into. Are you
1: all engineers in this
2: room? No. No,
1: no. Uh, we're all a variety we're of all different. all variety, variety, He's yeah. CS. So, we're both Rotman. He's nice. math and CS. Oh, no, good, good.
2: That's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah. but uh, for engineers, it was just like, um, now what? So you get into consulting pretty easily. You could get into banking pretty easily. And so I was like, okay, let's go explore those kind of opportunities and whatnot. And then while exploring those, it was... Uh, also, I learned the world of startups and so I was like, okay, fine, let's go and build out a startup now. Yeah. Why do you think awesome. it's uh, pretty easy for, or like it's seen as a easier route for mm-hmm. engineers to break into consulting? I think it's simply because of the uh, nature of work. It's just a lot of um, um, a- analytical work, a lot of like thinking of how to do things. And so if you can think through solving a problem, you can think through solving a different problem in a different field. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the skills are so transferable that uh, they don't really care um, what your specific industry is because you're so general anyway that you can get into that and kind of figure out how to solve problems. Because that's what you're really doing, you're solving yeah. problems for other people. Yeah, definitely, that's that's pretty
0: interesting. Yes. And so from what we understand, Tandem was sort of your first interaction with entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to hear the story of that, how, how it came about Yes. Yeah when it was started and the
2: process from that point onwards. If you yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, tandem was a fun time. So essentially what it was is immediately after it uh, sorry, immediately after school, uh, me and two of my engineering buddies were like, hey, you want to work on something? Um, this is the last summer kind of before we were graduating. And uh, those guys already had jobs at, at Deloitte. They, they had jobs at Deloitte and we were all free for a summer. And I was like, okay, fine, let's go and do something. Let's go and." build something fun and exciting, whatever that might be. Um, and so we just, we, we applied to the hatchery, and me and my buddy, um, Hussein, his name is Hussein, we were really into pitching. We just wanted to pitch. So we're like, we like, just went in, we started pitching this. Oh, we first pitched a VIP access card that would give you access to places in Toronto. We had no idea what we were doing. You know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah that so it was so sounds cool. so douchey, You're so dumb. You know the... Uh, you know the guy uh, behind uh, the Fire Festival? Yeah. Um, oh, um, I know his name. Uh, what's his name? It's like um, he's friends with John right? Yeah, that guy, that guy. Just yeah. to
1: give some context, the Fire Festival was a failed music festival. Exactly, yeah. yes. Billy McFarlane. Billy McFarlane. Right.
2: So, Billy McFarlane, at this time when we were in Toronto during Tandem Days, had built out this car call called Magnesis. I don't even. That's his first company. I mean, he's okay. one of his first companies, and so we saw that because I was growing so quickly, and we were like, well, "Let's build Magnesis for mm-hmm. Toronto. Toronto," which is so dumb. This is a dumb idea, and we entertained it for about two days until we realized how <laughs> silly it was, and then, and then through that we're like, "Okay, well, what else can we do?" And then we said, "Okay, well, uh, you guys know Piazza." Yeah. Yeah. Is it still a thing now? Yeah, yeah it's still a thing. Yeah. All, you guys always yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, know. That's crazy. Okay, so we were like, okay, well, like, let's build out a better Piazza. Like, let's allow for these students and teachers to talk together. And the idea was that we would build a layer on top of Piazza, so we'd integrate directly into uh, the school's uh, like APIs. And the moment you join a school, we know everybody who's in your classes, and then you have this kind of community for you to be able to share documents and whatnot, and you have history of all your past exams, kind of assignments, and everything like that. So the idea was that you'd get into school and then everything that we created in the Facebook groups was there for you. Mm. And then your teacher would be integrated into you would be able to share all his knowledge and whatnot, etc. Et that's
0: interesting because like Piazza doesn't have any like continuity from the previous session to the next session. And right. that's a problem with a lot of Facebook groups. Exactly. Exactly. Because
2: yeah. our Facebook group was so useful for us, but you as a new year with exactly. no access to it. So the idea was that you have years and years of knowledge and built up over time, which makes it easier for you to study, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was the idea. And we were actually going in that direction. But then we found out that it was impossible to integrate with schools because they're so hierarchical and actually working with
1: so much bureaucracy involved, so much
2: bureaucracy involved, Um, making APL is unheard of in the school. At least back then it was. I'm I'm sure it still is not easy to do. um, no one's paying you to do this kind of stuff. Monetization is impossible. Uh, well, not impossible. It was just hard. It was hard. Like, at least back then, we, we were in a point where like this is a little bit difficult, but then we said, okay, why can't we do this for businesses? And so this took us a whole four to six months to figure out is where <coughs> let's build out a um, build. Let's build out a platform where it is essentially Piazza, but for let's grown-ups. For businesses. For businesses. And what does that mean? Instead of collaborating on coursework, let's collaborate on Business. What does business mean? We started off with Excel sheets and code. And we said, how can we collaborate on that? And so then we were like using Google Docs and Google Sheets and whatnot. And we said, okay, why don't we make uh, coding a lot easier for remote teams? And we said remote because when you're sitting in the same room, it's really easy. But we saw this trend of, okay, people are like, Going, um, uh, trying to work remotely more and more often, so why don't we go and do that? And so essentially, what happened is we built out the Google software code, but you can use um, any uh, kind of software um, of your choice. So you can use any IDE of your choice, and that was 10 mm-hmm.
1: And so this, uh, your entire um, tryst with entrepreneurship, it came out of having a, f- a, f- a summer free. Is is that how it started, or like why did you get into entrepreneurship in the first place?
2: Because the all industry crashed. That mm-hmm. is the first reason. And then the second one was just uh, uh, me and my buddy were really into all that was happening on Business Insider. We used to read Business Insider a lot. And we just sit there and be like, man, like these 20 year old just <laughs> raised a million dollars. You know, that's so cool. And so we just wanted to do something similar, yeah.
1: And so you guys pitched to the Hatchery and you yes. guys get accepted and then yes. what happens? So you got accepted and then uh, we're going through the process of
2: building the company. And there's like a lot of mentorship. We're doing a constant pitching and whatnot. Um, through the hatchery. Um, honestly, nothing much happened with the hatchery. I think that it was a good incubator, but then this is the point where nothing was working. We we're just like building things for fun. Mm-hmm. We, we have no idea what it is that um, building a business looks like. We have no idea what, you know, like actually working something, what iterating quickly. We have no idea what none of this, any of this means. Um, but yes, um, essentially over time just wanted to keep doing it. Um, and then at the hatchery, we got introduced to the next 36, and then I applied for the next 36, and then, uh, found two other co-founders from there and then just started moving on
0: so there. you met your co-founders at the next 36 or did you uh... yeah
2: my it was essentially in the next set of co-founders for okay. the same company i met them through the next 36
0: and how's that experience meeting new co-founders that you're gonna uh, start a company with in comparison with for example doing it with your friends how, how do you think like breaking the ice or Getting on the same page with uh, a lot of your ideas. How do you think that was for you?
2: I think it's uh, really tough. I think finding the right co-founders is actually one of the hardest things to do. I think the reason why um, Tandem wasn't like isn't my full-time job today is actually probably that. Um, it's just a lack of finding the right co-founders and also just a lack of experience in building a company before, obviously. But um, yeah, like one of the main reasons why you know we couldn't grow to what we wanted to grow was because like. And find the right people to work with, uh, find the right working style, and the right skill sets to actually complement each other was very, very difficult. So you just take, I just took, a, I'm taking a blind bet on people, um, and you know these people are, are great, great, great individuals with a lot of talent, but you know it's difficult to understand that back then, yeah. Definitely.
1: One cool story Nish told me was, um, even though you've worked on so, so many software related projects, yeah. you never really studied software. No. Yeah. yeah. So, so tell us a little <laughs> yeah, bit about yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. How did you teach yourself to code?
2: Uh, so what happened is I, at the hatchery, um, when we started this company, we wanted to build a tech company because we just did not know what else to build. And so one thing we said, okay, fine, let's learn how to code. And so it's me, and Hassan, and Hussein sitting there, um, um, eight to ten hours a day at the in Bayan, the Bayan Center, yeah. for the Hatchery, like uh, headquarters, this kind of thing. So you sit there and just like we'd be like, okay, let's let's learn how to code. So you sit there and just uh, write HTML code and write CSS and write JavaScript. Just watch YouTube videos. And we had one friend who was an engineer. Like he, we had one friend from computer science, and so he would come in and teach us. Like CSS, so we would be sitting in a row like this, like just in his room. <laughs> he'd be there. He would project his screen. He's like, okay, so this is how you write CSS code. This is your HTML code, and that's it. And then uh, what is it? W- W3S schools or something like that? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, just that and Stack Overflow. That's it, man. We just had to just coding, and coding, and coding, and coding, coding, and, and you code ten hours a day for four months straight. Like you become a decent coder, and so f- literally. Five months into it, I got a job as a software developer. Wow, that <laughs> that's crazy! crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so, uh, and so, how much of a mechanical engineering helped you with what you did what Zero. do you do today? Zero help with how Engineering. We're
0: actually getting like a lot of responses similar to this. That you know, my degree like barely helped me yeah. at all with what I'm doing today. That's that's, that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah. yeah.
1: I guess you you spoke about how the problem solving that engineers do sort of helps yeah. you with everything. So so that's something that. Yeah. Are. I think I think that
2: at least you know, hard work was never uh, was um, always a part of it. Like you're we working our asses off in engineering as well, and uh, you're working our asses off afterwards. So. You know, the, the number of times where you've sat there and you've seen an equation that makes zero sense to you and you get so used to looking at things that are so difficult that you don't even know how to tackle it that um, tackling something as difficult is, is not, uh, it's, it's not jar you anymore. It's very, very natural to go and look at something you you have no idea how to fix.
1: By the way, uh, side note, have you checked out the new hatchery uh, at I have not. My Hall? It's so nice. Yeah. Is it really? Have you been to the My Hall building? No, I have not. It's really good. It's right here. I'm yeah, going to yeah, check yeah. it out after this. It's, yeah, it's super nice. like a year new. It's right yeah. Really? It's really yeah. nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I'm to check that out. Yeah. Damn, that's cool.
0: And uh, on the topic of startups and uh, how you come about with forming a startup idea and then building upon it with your friends or your co founders, what do you think about the differences between sort of innovating a new idea that's uh, innovating an existing idea that's out there in the market versus sort of coming up with something new that no one has ever uh, thought of before? What do you think about that in terms of difficulty and
2: uh, yeah, pretty much? I think that uh, the most important thing is to, like the, the whole thing of the real pro- the reason you're starting a startup is you want to solve a problem. For a lot of people, I think that's really the crux of the problem uh, of the problem you're trying to yeah. solve. So, you want to build something that solves a dire problem um, for a lot of people. So it doesn't matter if there's a if there's a solution that already exists or that you see something brand new, because even if there's a solution that exists that is not actually you know solving the problem um, in the way that you think it should be, then why does it matter, right? Like why does it matter? I think that. And you, you can there's so many examples for both sides where like you look at Tinder and then Tinder was completely is is crazy it's still to date. Like everybody uses Tinder, but now there's Bumble as well. Um purely based on the fact that Tinder solved a problem that dating apps does not exist, period. Um and then now Bumble solves a problem that Girls don't re- re- this woman feels, to guys. Yeah. exactly. It just feels so unsafe on this platform. And so if you think about it, like this is a large market, like solving dating for people is a large market and solving it for women is also a very, very large market. So it doesn't matter if it existed or not. The, the, the question is, is this a problem? And are a lot of people affected by it? Mm. That that is yeah.
1: And and one big thing you you keep hearing about in entrepreneurship is that ideas don't matter too much. It's more about the execution. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, it's just, it's just factual.
2: Yeah. Um, is there's nothing like there's really nothing <laughs> to say apart from the fact that I think ideas are obviously one thing. Um, and it all comes down to um how you go about executing on it. And executing usually means you know, okay, so I'm going to start this business because this is this is what I'm trying to solve. And uh, you know how would I want to start about go about starting this business? And so the methodology of how you want to start it is I think really, really important because initially you obviously want to be used by everybody. You want to be the sexy company that, you know, solves so many different things and people are like really into it, but that's never the case. You're always going to start off with your, your friends group. So you're going to every single person trying to tell them about your product, trying to like, get them to use it for you, then iterating on it. And so, it's the, the initial days are so... Um, humble. So, yeah, so humble, but they're also like, there's this very artisanal kind of way of building a business. And it's the, I think it's the only way to build a business, because um, you're, you're constantly doing things that don't scale. And so, and the only way you're doing that is because you're, you're doing it in such a manual way, but because you can, this is the only time in the business where you can provide such a crazy customer experience that nobody else can provide. Um, so I'll give you an example. Right now I'm working on a little um, um, supplements business as well. And I go and hand deliver every single package. Like everybody who orders from me, I go and hand deliver the package. So I get on my motorcycle, I carry like 50 different packages in my, in my bag, and then I'll go and give it to them so that I can see where they live. I know what they're like. I can, they have a dog. They're married. They have a kid. Um, what neighborhood they're staying in. And it gives me so much information about them, and then I learn about that. I go into it. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, is my price too low for what I'm charging, or can I give them other products because this is the kind of person they are, or like, how should I? What language should I be using to speak to them so they can better resonate? Um, because I'm, I'm looking. I thought that all my customers were like really young people, but actually no, they're all like married with a kid. So it's that kind of stuff. Like, so you, it, it, yeah, it, that's, that is all execution, right? You're actually getting out there. You're, you're iterating on the business, but yeah I, you, that is the most important part i think yeah,
0: that's sure. pretty interesting because it sounds like there there is no methodical approach for at least uh, a startup at, at very early stages mm-hmm. it sort of depends on the startup and it might seem scattered at the beginning but it kind of all fall it seems like it all falls into place at the end once you find your rhythm or find oh is my price at a stable point now right etc exactly exactly
1: and so um, you got into Hatchery, you learn how to code, mm-hmm. and then you're working at Scotiabank, and then how do you grow Tandem? What, what happened? Yeah, so this?
2: I mean, at that point, I'm just working at Scotiabank as a software developer, right? Uh, but uh, a, after a while, it was uh, I actually quit my job at Scotiabank to go back to work on um, Tandem full-time. I'm listed with the next 36. And so when I'm doing that, um, uh, we're I was there for... I think about six to eight months out of Scotiabank Banks working on it full-time. Um, a few things happened. Some of my co-founders kind of left. They uh, one of them, both moved move back to San Francisco. Uh, one of them moved back to school. And uh, it was just really us figuring out what to do next. And so at that point, we had raised a little bit of money from the next 36. Um, there was a little bit of money in the bank and I wanted to keep going with it. And so I hired um, just like a friend to help me out with continuing coding it and whatnot. And then what happened was was actually one of our um, biggest beta users at that point. Mm. And uh, uh, the digital factory was growing in, in multiple parts of uh, Latin America. And so I was like, hey, like let's just test this out. Let's go see um, if Tandem works with you guys. And so we were sitting there and just like um, figuring out how things worked over there. And so what ended up happening is Tandem uh, essentially started uh, uh, being used within the to build out some of the software there. And uh, that was the end of that, really. Yeah.
1: Wow, and then um, you started working at PTM after. How yeah, after actually no, actually no. Then there
2: was a small time where I started working at Freshie, the food company. Oh, I love uh, Freshie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 We all love Freshie. <laughs> there was um,
2: there was a period in summer I ate it
0: literally every day for two weeks. Awesome. What is it
1: called? The satay. The, the, Buddha, the Buddha satay. The Buddha satay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really good. Nice. Yeah. Um, and, but that's that's not a software pro- product though so so what no what no we're building the, uh, the mobile
2: apps for Freshie You okay. didn't build the salad man. <laughs> yeah I, I was not building the I'm salad I'm surprised yeah I'm surprised they are building digital salads yeah we were like uh, the, uh, the so you
1: worked on the Freshie app after yeah exactly yeah okay. yeah. Uh, what's the difference like working for let's say a big company like Freshie Scotiabank as opposed to you know working on your own thing
2: oh man it's uh this is very different actually. Uh, Scotiabank is a really big company. Freshie is a much smaller company. And then the startups like you and your friends. You and right? my friends. Um, I think that Scotia, thinking about larger companies like a bank, is that they, they are a system, right? They're really, really big. They have a lot of customers. Um, the culture is ingrained already. And we're talking about a very old company as well. Um, These companies, because of how big they are, they just move much much slower, and um, and I think that is a key thing that I've learned over the past is that there's great people at Scotiabank, really really talented people there, but it's just really slow. Um, everything you do requires a process. So, like an example is if if, if, if I were to go and um, I don't know push something in production, um, I can't just go push something in production. You gotta go get approval from a layer of people to push something to prod. Something pretty simple. Um, and then that just impacts your speed so much. But they have this rules and regulation space because they have like 22 million people on this app and you can't really go push, start pushing into production. Um, so in that company, that culture is just so, so different that you need to do that. And you, you want to spin up a server, like you can't, you can't just go spin up a server. So your level of experimentation, and the speed at which you move at is actually just much slower than anything that is smaller than than anything, anything smaller than a bigger bank. So that's one of the things that I learned about it, which made it quite difficult for you to work as quickly as you want to, because speed is one of the key, key things if you want to actually grow and, you know become successful mm-hmm. um even at Freshy, Freshy was a much smaller team so automatically you have more time to be able to do things um you have the ability to um you know at least for us we had the ability to uh, spin up service pushing into production um, make coachings and just experiment iterate much much quicker uh, much much uh, quicker sorry
0: yeah so uh coming back to Freshy, correct me if i'm wrong you were uh, working in uh, uh, product management at Freshly, right right is that yeah correct? yeah and so freshy isn't really associated with uh, being a, a tech company for, mm. f- for example so i'm, I'm just wondering how how's the what does the process of working in uh, what is working in product management at, at freshy like how do you go about your daily job there or how does freshy look at its growth or uh, scaling in toronto for example on that side because i feel like it's harder to conceptualize when dealing with a, a non-technical company, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I think that for a company like Freshly, uh, technology is actually the uh, like an enabler to the business. It is mm-hmm. not their core business, um, and uh, that is totally fine. I think that a lot of companies should just use technology to enable the business. Mm-hmm. Even at banking, like, technology is not their core business. It is a massive enabler to the business, but you know they're in the business of finance and like keeping your money safe and moving money from one person to another. And and a bunch of other business lines obviously, but these are all enabled by technology. So obviously it plays a much bigger role there. But even in Freshie, I think that if you think about it, like uh, um, the way it worked was you have your POS systems where people transact with you, you have the store where technology is considered, things like your internet connectivity, your um, your printers and whatnot that print out their of, uh, the chits of the food that you're ordering. Yeah. And then you have your online ordering process of actually putting the food in, and your website and whatnot. So, you know, my job there was just to be like, how can I make it really easy for somebody else to order on their phone, and then receive their food in store, as if it was one transaction. Um, And that was really it. So, I want to order online, and I just want to come into my store, and I want to have my food to be ready. But through that process, there's like hundreds of things going on. Like, I'm actually looking at, okay, um, you're making XYZ substitutions on your bowl or whatnot. Um, i got to make sure that when the food comes in, it is ordered in the right way. So how do I prioritize online over or the people that are ordering in-store? Um, how do I get the printer chip to print out so that you, the people online can actually see what to make and make it very, very quickly so that when you're there, it is ready for you? How do I make sure that when you order, I give you an accurate estimate of how long it's going to take for your food to be ready? Mm-hmm. So that was all the things that we use technology for to make that experience better. But again, it was just an enable of the business. Like, fresh in the business of making, you know, healthy food for people. So um,
1: I think one common theme through it all is how you get feedback, like you build something, you get feedback and then you iterate. I think that loop is something you've been working on. hundred percent.
2: Yeah. It's like the, uh, you don't know what there is. I think they, they, people will tell you when they don't like what you're doing and then you just try to make that better. Yeah. And then, yeah.
1: Cool. And then after you worked at Freshie, you started working at PTM. And
2: then I started working at PTM. Yeah.
1: Uh, tell us a little bit, a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: I think Paytm is a, uh, was a really interesting company. As I, I actually was in India um, after Freshly for a little bit, um, and then I saw Paytm. So there was a store that I um, used to go to um, when I was a kid, right? Like, I like guess we're talking, like, 20 years ago kind of thing. Um, and uh, this store now had, oh, I'm accepted pay, accepting Paytm. And so you can go there, scan this QR code, and, and pay this person. And so now everybody paid them. So back in the day, like, 10, 20 years ago, when you used to go to the store because he was a close friend of ours, he would keep a tally of everything we owed him and kind of bill us at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, and so now I was like, what is this? Like you're accepting like you know, QR codes kind of thing because it's very cash-heavy. It used to be a very cash-heavy society. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I was like, well, this is crazy. And then everything, like even the people who are selling you cucumbers on the streets are have a QR code um, and then they're taking money directly into cell phones. So everybody in India has a cell phone, like, everybody has a smartphone for sure. I was like, well, this is crazy. And then Paytm was facilitating all that uh, money movement. And then when I came back to Toronto, honestly, this was so weird, but randomly on LinkedIn, um, somebody from Paytm reached out and this <laughs> happened. Like it was super, super unexpected. And they're like, hey, like, you know, um, have you guys heard of Paytm? I'm like, yeah, just last week. I never heard of them before, but, um, and they're like, yeah, we, just, we opened up an office in Canada. They've been in Canada for about a while, a couple of years now. Um, and so they're like, hey, we want somebody to do a uh, product for um, the consumer business. And then I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Went in and seemed pretty cool. So yeah, then started working on that. Awesome. Oh, well, that's yeah, that's interesting how randomly on
0: LinkedIn. Really weird. Really, really <laughs> weird. Yeah. And right now, how would you describe uh, your daily work at Paytm and how it differs from Freshie, for example, for in sure. terms of the sort of things you're covering, uh, uh, generally
2: speaking? So Paytm um, in Canada is uh, pretty cool. It's a different uh, business entirely. Like we are, in, we are, we have a consumer business, which is um, like I don't know if you've seen, but we basically allow for bill payments for um, for users. So um, you can go in, um, pay bills through there, and you earn points. So for every single bill payment you make, we give you um, essentially free uh, rewards for it, which you can redeem for gift cards, like Amazon gift cards, Uber gift cards, whatever that may be, right? And the the idea is you want to build an app that is very trustworthy for people and we want you to do as many transactions on the app as possible so that is one of the businesses the other businesses uh we're also in the merchant business so basically allowing for people to um transact online um through using ptm as a payment facilitator so that is one of the things and then we also have um like a cloud business which is providing auxiliary businesses to the merchants to allow you to um um, like to allow you to do things on top of what you do apart from just transacting a payment so that is what we are in canada is about 120 people in the office. Um, pretty, uh, small, small, uh, small right now, I would say. Uh, but I know that they're growing very, very quickly. So they plan on like doubling the number of people that we have in the next, uh, like couple of months to a year. Yeah. Wow. And
0: so this is sort of a segue, but we, we all live in Toronto right now yeah. and you've lived in Calgary and, uh, you, you visit India yeah, pretty India, often. Yeah. And this is something I always think about. What do you think the differences in opportunity here, here in Toronto? How how does that compare with India and Calgary? Because uh, like me and Angad, for example, are international students, mm-hmm. and we see and don't see some of these differences that we we always hear about on TV or from our friends living abroad. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how you see those differences. Do you feel like there are necessarily more opportunities here, or better, or more interesting ones, or how does that compare, really?
2: Ooh, that's a Interesting question. Um, honestly, I can really speak more to Toronto, um, New York, um, London, and uh, maybe a little bit of Calgary. Not too much of India, sure. But um, I think that uh, right now there's a lot of opportunity, um, definitely in cities like Toronto, and uh, like especially these tech-heavy cities. There's a lot of lot of opportunity, um, and opportunity to do things in multiple industries, um, regardless of what field you're in. Um, and especially in tech, um, I know you can work in, like you can work in the food industry like I did and then suddenly move over to banking and then suddenly move over to payments. And like, these are actually all fairly different industries because when I was in banking, I did credit cards, right? When I was in freshly, it was food. And then now it's like pure payment transactions kind of thing. So these are all very different industries, but I'm still in tech. So if you're in tech, you can go and do all these different things in complete different industries, but still remain in the, the realm of technology. Um, and I know that like, for example, you go for work for like a, a delivery company like DoorDash and whatnot, and then completely transfer all those skills over to a, a, a different startup to do with, you know, like, like SpaceX or something like that. Like, it's very, very transferable for sure. Um, Calgary is just smaller. So by nature, it is um, not as many opportunities as Toronto has. But again, um, if you're gonna go into a fast-moving thing, I, I definitely recommend staying on uh, in these bigger cities for sure. Yeah, I personally really like living in Toronto. Nice. I like, yeah. <laughs> like, where are you Where are you from?
0: So originally, I'm half Palestinian, half Syrian. Yeah. But I grew up in Dubai, and this oh, is thanks. this is my second That's second cool. year here. So I grew up in the Middle East too. Oh really? Yeah.
2: I don't know. My parents live in Abu Dhabi.
0: No way. Yeah, oh. Yeah. They go so, there every year. So you go there every year? Yeah, I, yeah. I was just there in the summer for two weeks, nice. actually. nice. I'm probably, probably going again in the winter. Me too. So, no way. It's, uh, uh, and... Uh, <laughs> So do you visit Dubai often or yeah, when yeah. you go to Abu, both, Abu Dhabi? Both. Like I I fly into Dubai What do you think about the the differences there because like it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of like rivalry between like people living in Abu Dhabi and people living I think in...
2: it's crazy that city is insane <laughs> man. Every single time I go there I'm like Where, what is this place? There's just like so much opulence there. And yeah, so my sure. um uh, my family lives in an apartment in Abu Dhabi and so I you know when we go in, we park our car in the garage of the apartment it's just like a it's like a nice apartment in I, I Abu There's no such thing as a bad apartment in Abu I don't think at least. So you go you go in there, and literally every car is a custom Lamborghini <laughs> or a custom Ferrari or like a Bentley on crack. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, what is this? So this is the parking garage of a people's houses. Yeah. Like, this is not it works. And then it's funny because we're also, uh, at the bottom of the apartment, there's a Lamborghini showroom. And uh, if you live in this apartment, you pretty get a discount on a Lamborghini. Yeah, so you get like, a, you get 5% off for something stupid <laughs> like that if you live in this apartment. <laughs> <this. laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, I don't know, it's bizarre. The world like, boggles the mind. Yeah, it's, it's, it's,
0: and uh, honestly, I really enjoyed living there. Uh, and school there is fun, a lot of diversity there. Especially if you go to international school, because yeah. people there who aren't local, they're pretty much forced to go to an international mm-hmm. school, uh, international private school, and you see a lot of diversity. There a lot of people from like Arab countries or India or uh, European countries, and it's it's nice to see. That's why it wasn't such a huge, like it, w- it was kind of a drastic change moving to Toronto and seeing all of these different cultures mm-hmm. in one place together. But you, you also see that in Dubai.
2: I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure, I agree. I was um, in an international school in in Muscat. Mm. Um, Oman. Oh, Oman. Yeah. yeah. Very similar, just like lots of people from different places. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah,
0: awesome. Like sort of to wrap up, uh, knowing everything you know now, what would your what would your advice be to first year Nish mm-hmm. coming into U of T mechanical engineering? Mm.
2: A good question, that is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's impressed with his own question. <laughs> yeah, I'm I came sorry. up with it. We like to ask this just, to all
0: disclaimer, Angad uh, came up with that okay, question. Okay, okay, <laughs> one year, one
2: first year niche. Okay, let me think about this. Um, I think I would say to myself to, um, actually, you know what it is? I'll, I think what I did in first year was so good that I'm just gonna tell you exactly what I did. <laughs> 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 I think that. I was uh, just there to actually, first of all, just have a good time. Okay, I was uh, not um, obsessed with um, with school um, and I wasn't um, um, freaking out like uh, a lot of my uh, uh, co-workers were, uh, co-students were. And so all these people would, you know, they would, school was something that kind of takes over your life It has a possibility to take over your life. I think it's really important to work really, really hard for sure, but it is really important to also just try to figure out what it is that you want to do first. And I did this by mistake because I didn't take school very seriously. Um, for the first two years, I was not a great student. I did not do very, very well in school, but, um, I used to just go and learn a lot. Like I used to go learn, meet up with people, and just by talking to a lot of people in different um um not industries, what do you call it, like a different uh settings. Uh, so, so yeah, exactly, know. exactly. So or in, in different fields, right? And so I met a lot of people taught in different fields just to gain broader perspective on what is happening in the world. Because that I did not know about. So just understanding that there's a lot of things that exist in the world and and that that I did very well because I did not know any better. And then near the third and fourth years when I started working much harder to do it. So I would suggest obviously like don't like you know working hard is really really important, but gaining a broader perspective on what is out there and what it is that you want to do is even more important in my opinion. Wow. I feel like that's good advice. So if
0: anyone's listening to this and studying, drop your books and go to a networking event. Yeah good. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Awesome. Yeah, uh, it was great having you, Nish. This was a great conversation. Lots of insightful stuff. I'm sure. Thank you guys. Thank you so
0: much for coming on. Beyond the Degree is co-hosted by myself, Falafah, and Angad Arneja. Behind production and occasional co-host is Tate Clagett, and our director of marketing is Max Bayevsky. Thank you for listening, and see you soon.